she just does it. Sorry, Kristen just scared the shit out of me <laughs> because I have I this like ghost, curtain. I saw the ghost in the me. background wander past, <laughs> and I just turned, and there was just like a shadowy figure there. Who is Kristen? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to Let's Run That Back. I'm Cody. I'm Matt. We're two brothers that talk about movies as if our opinions matter. And on today's episode, here this morning, we will catch up on what we've been watching, dive into the dreamlike film I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and we're going to discuss what we think makes a good adaptation. And so without further ado, let's run that back. I want to start this podcast before anything else with something that made me laugh so hard while I was editing the last one. And that is that we repeatedly spoke about Godzilla gods and monsters over and over again. And the funny thing about that is that that's not the title of the movie. (laughs) It is apparently Godzilla king of the monsters. (laughs) And I spent a good 10 minutes scouring the internet being like, no, this movie was called Gods and Monsters at some point. I know it. As far as I can see, it's always been King of the Monsters. And I don't know why I had that thought. So how'd you like it? It drove me insane. (laughs) What'd you say? Did I like it? Yeah. Did you like it? I didn't watch it. Oh, okay. You still watch it. It's still on my list of things to do. Yeah. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the movie that we care so little about that we didn't even know the name of it. We said it like 12 times. <laughs> so obviously, we haven't been watching Godzilla, King of the Monsters. That's good. Keep doing that the whole podcast. What What have we been watching recently? That's it. All right, so moving on to the next. Uh, <laughs> I have things. Have you not watched anything for two weeks? Um, so I on HBO Max have been rewatching The Big Bang Theory. Where are you? I'm at my computer. No, <laughs> where are you in the show? Um, I I just um this season. I couldn't even tell you what season it's in. But the season that it's in, it's the one when Penny cut her hair. Um, it's the first season that I didn't watch in the like original run. So I'm now past where I stopped. Before. Okay, you have to have been watching The Big Bang Theory for months at this point then. Um, you didn't reach this point in like two weeks. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm like, you're almost done with The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> it's been two weeks. I will say Big Bang Theory... N- not a hundred percent as as funny as I remember it being, or as good <laughs> as I remember it being. Yeah. Um, but I just kind of I I want to know what happens. <laughs> you could have just watched the last season, but I guess you wouldn't have known because you didn't watch seasons prior to it right. or something, right? Right. But yeah, I mean, I feel like that kind of effect happens with a lot of sitcoms. Like, I feel like they work best. The, the like 
time they're coming out. Yeah. Well, especially they, like the first and second, life. like the early seasons, there's some jokes and mm-hmm. stuff that I'm like, this does not age well. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just not funny. We started watching Bly Manor. Okay, but you haven't finished it. No, we're like two episodes in. Oh my god, Cody. Did we talk about Ted Lasso last time? Yes. Okay, never well, mind. Well, no, not on the podcast. We talked about it just on the phone. This show is so funny. The one with Jason Sudeikis, yes. you said, right? Yes. I'm not one to laugh out loud at he, TV shows wa- or movies. Matt, you are definitely one to laugh out loud at TV <laughs> shows and movies, so I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm not. <laughs> Carrie doesn't really uh, laugh out loud either. This show, I mean, it's several times each episode. It's so funny. Jason Sudeikis is a funny guy. I've Speaking of him, I've been watching just on YouTube old SNL skits. I just, since I started watching them, I just keep being recommended more and more of them. And Jason Sudeikis and Will Forte were like hilarious on SNL back when they were on it. Was Jason Sudeikis a cast member on SNL? Yes, he was. I don't remember this. See, yes, but like, I didn't know either of them were cast members. And Will Forte, I, I knew like Will people Forte don't talk was. about how hilarious he yeah. is. Um, and then I realized shortly before bed that Mandalorian came out yesterday, so I haven't watched that yet, but that's I on, haven't either. That's on deck. But it's like, it's week by week, right? So it's not like the whole season dropped. Right. So it's, that that one doesn't feel as pressing because I'm, I'm only going to be spoiled one episode if I like don't watch it in time. And it's probably just going to be a whole bunch of shots of Baby Yoda if I'm, if I'm imagining correctly. <laughs> we'll see. And I watched Iron I, Man, and that's it. You watched Iron Man because Binge Mode created Binge Mode Marvel, didn't you? I've been waiting to ask you. I listened to that immediately. Oh, but without it's, watching it? Right. I mean, I've seen Iron Man plenty of times, but <laughs> I, I just love Binge Mode. That's just a great podcast. Yeah, great podcast. It's better than art. <laughs> no, but... I, uh, you know, we're recording this on Halloween, so I've been just recently watching uh, horror movies. I caught Halloween on TV recently, and that movie is, like, it feels so much slower with the commercials in it. Oh, I bet. (laughs) It's just, like, teenager walks from one room to the other, gets kind of scared, commercial break, and then it comes back. (laughs) And now we're with a different teenager walk. It's This is making it sound like I hate Halloween and I don't hate Halloween. It's just, maybe don't watch it on TV. I guess that's what I'm saying. But I also, we watched Hocus Pocus last night because we have to try to fit that in at some point. Stop rolling your eyes. I don't know why you're rolling your eyes. Hocus Pocus is a great movie. Again, he's rolling his eyes as if any of you can see that. Listener, you can't see that. But uh, I, I haven't watched like many shows since Bly Manor I guess I guess Bly Manor just ruined shows for me I don't know (laughs) (laughs) all right so without getting into details I love it so Mm -hmm. far I'm like two episodes in right Bly Manor it's super creepy Mm -hmm. and like every now and then you'll see a ghost pop up in the background Um, whatever the lady is with the pointy nose thing like she's hanging out quite a bit but one thing that I that he's doing that I really really like is he's putting things in the background 
that look like they could be ghosts and then like the shot will change and I don't know if they're like changing out the set or if they're just framing it originally but like in the second shot it'll be like a clock or a vase yeah or a coat hanger but it's like blurry in the background in the first shot and you're like oh is that oh no it's just a coat hanger I do know that one thing in any horror show, movie, anything that is the director's friend is a coat hanger in the background. I, I feel like you always want to make sure we've got a coat rack somewhere so that you can put a coat up with a freaking top hat on top of it or whatever <laughs> so that as someone walks past it, you can be like, oh, okay, good. It's just a coat rack. But I, I think you're definitely noticing things that... And that really is what made Hill House so great, too. Just the amount of creepy things that are just in the background just for you to, like, sense and not even see. Well, it adds to the, like, I don't, I don't know the word for it, like, creep fact. Like, it just makes it feel more creepy. More, yeah, the, like, more ambience. Ominous. Mm-hmm. Because you're always being watched. The characters right. are always being watched. Right. Even if the thing, even if the ghosts and stuff that you're seeing in the background have nothing to do with the story, right? They just live in the house. They're just right. like, "Who's this? Is this a new person?" Because um, <laughs> Hill House, I remember like after watching it, someone you know made a compilation video of just all the ghosts in the background, and I remember being like, "I didn't see half of these," yeah. <laughs> which means they just put them in there just in case you're seeing it. I love it. Anything else? No, you. Because I'm thinking of ending things here in this in this section. I was gonna say, speaking of uh, scene cutting and the set being different. <laughs> so we watched a little movie called "I'm Thinking of Ending Things" this uh, this time for this episode. And about halfway through the movie, I was thinking of ending things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was ready for that joke when we decided to watch this movie. I was like, I was like, here we go. It's like, it's like this is the movie that made us think of ending the podcast. <laughs> you know, just things like that should have yeah, been the invisible movie. Left. Oh God! But this this movie was directed and written by Charlie Kaufman. Who's just a crazy person, right? Like, he's just some <laughs> random crazy person that people give money to to make movies. Um, it's starring Jesse Buckley, Jesse Plemons. That probably got confusing on set. Okay, wait Tony a second. Collette. Wait a second. I need you to pause after you say each cast member's name. Okay. I can't wait to see where we're going with this. It's starring Jesse Buckley. Uh, the drummer from Sex Bum-Bum. Jesse Plemons, Todd from Breaking Bad, Tony Collette. Um, I mean, take your pick. She's the mom <laughs> in The Sixth Sense. She's uh, in the Hereditary. mom in Hereditary, and in Knives Out, she's the one who says, "You're famous." David Thewlis, Professor Lupin, etc. There's there's like three more people in the movie, but <laughs> I, I didn't want to sit here listing names <laughs> forever. Um. And it's this, like, strange, like, stream-of-consciousness film that may have gone over my head, if I'm being honest. Like, I'm not gonna just straight-up say, like, you know, I'll just straight-up say it. I may not not be smart enough for this movie. I don't know. 
That might be what it is. I've got it all straight, but I had to do some research. I was going to say, after reading about it online, after watching it, it became more interesting of a concept. But um, I, I think the... I don't want to just straight up blame the movie for me like not getting it like outright, because I do think part of it was... It's just a really like over your head kind of movie like it's not straightforward at all and charlie kaufman intentionally does this with his movies yes yes and and he clearly went above and beyond with this one this one was it it felt like he had a little too much freedom (laughs) too much freedom (laughs) that's pretty good well i mean that's the kind of trap that sometimes really really imaginative creative people fall into like like George Lucas is the famous one. Oh my god. <laughs> he had too much control on the prequel movies of Star Wars. And what's funny is I've read that George Lucas went to other directors and and writers and were like, "What do you think about this?" and they were like, "Man, <laughs> it's your thing. <laughs> you do what you think is right." Um, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's, and you know, not every movie is for everyone. (laughs) Charlie Kaufman made this movie for a very specific (laughs) set of people. Um, just a real, real quick overview because a lot happened in the movie, but also not a lot happened in the movie. So I think I can be very quick and broad. I'm excited to hear you try and explain this. I was just going to be very bare bones. Okay. Spoiler alert. It's about... A couple that have been together for like a short amount of time, like six weeks, and the girlfriend is going to meet the boyfriend's parents. So they go on a road trip to the parents' house, and the movie is pretty much driving to the parents' house, getting to the parents' house, and at the parents' house, (laughs) I mean, shit goes nuts. Like, it, it is... No one acts like a person. So when you time. say so when you say shit goes nuts, you mean like yes. the mom burns the turkey? No, I mean like I mean like no person seems like they're having a conversation with the other person. They every time someone's talking, it's like they're having their own conversation. And then when the other person responds to them, it's like they're in their own conversation. And that's the most mild part of it. It also goes into seeing the parents at different ages and life stages and walking in and out of different memories of the boyfriend. I'm telling you, I don't even want to sit here and try to explain it. It makes absolutely like, I'm not going to say it makes no sense. It's just crazy. And then the crazy they thing, finally, I realized go this, ahead. Sorry, I realized this as I was trying to explain it to Carrie. You mm-hmm. explain the whole movie, right? Yeah. And I tried to do it from beginning to end, but you do the whole thing without even mentioning the janitor, who is the most important character in the whole movie. Yes, good point. It does constantly, like, cut back to a janitor in, like, a, a high school or, like, a middle school. I think it's a high school. And it's just him going about his day like cleaning up seeing the kids in the theater program do their rendition of Oklahoma I mean literally just being a janitor on the fray exactly 
I was going <laughs> to leave Oklahoma alone. I'll come back to it, okay, buddy? Because <laughs> we've got some connections to Oklahoma in this in this podcast. Oh, God. We then leave the house, and you think, okay, so the, mo- <laughs> the movie's almost over. <laughs> There's still, like, another hour of this movie. And as- they never make it home. As they're leaving, they keep stopping off. They eventually get to the high school where... The girlfriend meets the janitor, and I guess you find out everything's been in the janitor's head the whole time, but it is very not clear. And that's kind of just how the movie ends. (laughs) So if you feel like my explanation was lackluster and disappointing, I agree with you. That's not because the movie was lackluster and disappointing. It's just because I don't know how to explain this movie. So now that all of us, me, you, and the listeners, have a very clear understanding of what this movie is that we're talking about, I think we should dive into it. Here's the thing. The main part of the movie is the conversations that the girlfriend and the boyfriend have like when they're together. I feel like that's like the main crux of the movie. And they have these conversations that, like I said earlier, are like stream of consciousness. It's just like... You move from one topic to the next seemingly, not at random, but you know, you pick up off the last topic to talk about the next topic, and it's like rapid fire. Like, I want to know for you, Matt, because I made the mistake of not watching this with subtitles, which I feel like would have helped tremendously. Were you following it when they were like talking most of the time? So I wasn't necessarily listening to the words they were saying, and going, oh, okay, that makes sense to Mm -hmm. what they were talking about before. Okay, I'm following all this word for word verbatim. But I did definitely get, like, what the writer was trying to say about the characters from them having these conversations. Right. That's a really good explanation. Like, I felt the same way. And I think where I was saying that maybe I'm not smart enough for this movie and it went over my head is that a lot of the conversations are, like, very specific references to Mm. very, like, very specific, like, you know, a collection of essays by this, like, writer. Right. um, A poem by this person, a painting by this person. Like, and then heavily referenced was the play Oklahoma, which Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't really know that play very well. You know, I wasn't in it like you were, but... I just feel like it felt like Oklahoma as a play had to have meant something to the movie, and I don't know what it was. <laughs> um, the closest thing thematically is the story of a guy that wants to get with a girl but doesn't know how to go about it. Oh, okay. Well, that's de- that's definitely the connection. Wow. Okay. But so it's, that's I cool. Mean, it's very different in Oklahoma than it is in yeah, this movie. Of course. Because that's, I guess we can talk more about, like both of us said, we did some research on the movie afterwards to be like, what was going on? Because, you know, I see this joke a lot and I saw it written on Reddit for this one that was me watching the trailer. Oh, that looks cool. I wonder what that's about. Me after watching the movie. That was pretty cool. I wonder what that was about. <laughs> yeah. So, but, so after looking it up, I you know, learned that the idea of it was that the whole movie was taking place in, like, the janitor's mind, 
and the whole cast of characters were just, you know, different parts of his mind made up of memories or actual people or fictitious ideas of people. It was kind of hard to tell, and I mean, I guess intentionally hard to tell, but like certain characters came from like different points in time. Yes. So like clearly the ice cream shop was from when he was a little kid or in, in high school or whatever. And then Lucy or Lucinda or Amy or whatever her name in this in the movie is young woman yeah. because her name keeps changing yeah it's clearly from a little bit further along maybe when he was in college or something like that right because the idea is that the girlfriend is a girl that he saw somewhere and was interested in like asking her out and being with her and for whatever reason that didn't happen so it's like thinking what back, he's what imagining right we had gotten together which as you can see based on what matt said about oklahoma that that's that connection there kind of the idea of it all being in one person's head just it like everything clicks mm-hmm. into place when you see it that way and i was telling Kristen after I watched it, but before I looked anything up about it, that it felt like I was watching someone's dream because it had that, like, disconnected quality to it Mm -hmm. where, like, one thing doesn't transition beautifully into the next thing. One example is when they finally, the parents finally come down and they say, all right, dinner's ready, come into the next room. And the girlfriend, like, turns and walks into the next room and everyone's already sitting at the table and the table is, like, beautifully made with food everywhere. And it, like, wasn't like that a second ago. And then as I kind of referenced earlier, the idea of, like, when everyone's talking to each other at the dinner table, it's almost like they're having multiple conversations all at once. Mm -hmm. And I liked the... There was, like, this kind of repeated thing throughout where someone would say something wrong and someone else would correct them and then like someone else would say something wrong and someone else would correct them and you think back and it's like oh that's his memory like correcting like no this is what happened right Uh, this is what that thing is right or him thinking it wrong and then correcting himself right and the character yelling at the other characters kind of him kind of self-deprecating a little bit yeah, exactly. And cuz uh, I think I, it's fairly clear that he's not the most like mentally healthy person. He doesn't he definitely very much looks down on himself and right. like thinks that he's not you know good enough to have gotten a girl like her or right. he didn't do things right with his parents when they were like going bad in health and you know all that kind of stuff. I thought At least the that whole time might be what he thought. The whole time, I thought time was going to like collapse on itself at the end, and it was going to be... <laughs> I was trying to make it work in my head. I was so lost, so confused mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. I thought that, like, I couldn't tell which one was which. I thought it was her, because she was younger, was going to, like, transition to a man at the end, and, like, he was mm-hmm. going to be the male version of her. You were ready for, like just absolute craziness to happen at the end of the movie. And and that was and, but I I figured they were going they were the same person. Right. Cuz like he could hear her thoughts and and shit like that. Right. Um, yes. 
And, like, everything that he mentioned, she was able to just, like, recite off the top of her head and vice versa. So, like, it was pretty clear that they were the same person, but... Yeah, and they kept doing that thing where, you know, she's a poet, right? And she wrote this poem. And then you go into his childhood bedroom and she finds a book with the poem that she recited in it. Right. And then oh, she's a painter, here are my paintings. And then she finds his paintings, and they're the same paintings. They like they really are, when you look back, they're really hitting you over the head with it. Mm-hmm. So like, I can't believe I was so confused. <laughs> and I like that, that they, they would constantly do this thing where, you know, she would say something, and he would be like, well, you know, that, that's, that's how you think, because you're a poet. And she'd be like, right, yeah, I know. And then she'd say something else, and he'd be like, well, of course you think that. I mean, you're a physicist. And she'd be like, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm a physicist. And I didn't know what are they doing with that. And then, like, once I learned, it's like, okay, well, either these are all the women that he could have been with, and one could have been a poet, or one could have been a painter. Or he's a poet, and he's a painter, and he's a physicist, like, in these different, like, either timelines or... Hell, maybe he is all of those things, but instead of doing anything with it, he just became a janitor. Right. Which I say just became a janitor, like, that's a terrible thing to become. But, like, the point of the movie, I guess, is that he wishes he did more. Right. And so I found a lot of things that I enjoyed about the movie. Like, the the acting was great. And Tony Collette is phenomenal. She just can't do anything wrong. Like, she... She is a very specific character, and she's that same character in a couple different things. I actually saw a Reddit comment about Toni Collette that said she is the master of the I'm holding down an emotion, and I don't even know what that emotion is (laughs) style of acting. Yeah, She just like... But she was equally as good in Knives Out. Yes, she was. As the as that like privileged like uh, you can Gwyneth Paltrow. out of I was gonna say out of touch woman <laughs> she was just Gwyneth Paltrow she was she was a character of Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> like you learned that like that's what she based it off of no but I mean watch the movie <laughs> <laughs> I love it and there's there are all these things to to love about the movie because even with the like how like i i guess you could say like pretentious the dialogue sounds the whole time mm-hmm. it's great dialogue if it's people that don't actually talk like that it's it's the inside of someone's mind mm-hmm. and they had just enough of that like kind of creepiness in the atmosphere like i loved the idea of it just snowing constantly mm-hmm. so you can't see, like, outside of where they are. Right, because in a dream, whether it's a daydream or, a, you know, a dream while you're sleeping. Right. All that you're focused on is exactly what the subject matter is, of the dream is. Right. And those out-of-place things that make sense later, like when they drove past the abandoned house that had, like, a brand-new swing set. Mm-hmm. And it's like he's just remembering that place at two different times at the right. same time. Um, and, and then I'm always, always a fan of people randomly dancing in a movie. So, so I, I really enjoyed that part where 
the girlfriend and the boyfriend just turned into two professional dancers and had like this whole sequence of dancing. That was fun. I had to go back and watch like an explanation of that sequence. Really? Yeah. And what did you find? So the Jake and the young woman dancing together, mm-hmm. um, you know, all beautiful and graceful and it, it moves into like the wedding of them getting married. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's all like what he's seeing, what their life could have been, what their what their life could have grown into. Entire relationship. And then they get into the gymnasium and start snowing and the dancer version of the janitor comes in and they fight and he kills them. That's what really happened, his actual yeah. life coming in and taking over the fantasy. Right. Which I thought was really, really cool. That is really good. And I feel like that's not far-fetched. Like, you can watch it and see that happen. Right. And and I loved the way they did it where, like, when he gets stabbed, he's, like, throwing red throwing ribbons, ribbons in the yeah. air. And, like, it really just was so creative and done in, like, an unexpected way like at mm-hmm. every turn mm-hmm. and and then and there ending... was a naked old fat man talking to a cartoon pig <laughs> that's actually a thing that happened in the movie <laughs> <laughs> i want to make sure people know and it wasn't really out of place it made sense in the movie like i'm not gonna say that it was it was just nice. some random thing <laughs> um and so they also ended it pretty much, on a musical number from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And Kristen walked in just at that moment and <laughs> said, fake is this a musical? <laughs> and I was like, nope. And she was like, okay. But there was one thing that I that I found really, really interesting in reading about it, and I caught a, a very small, small percentage of it when I was watching it. Um, but it clicked obviously as I was reading about it, and I wrote I wrote them down. Um, when they were talking about a woman under the influence, the John Cassavetes movie, right? They were in the car just kind of having a conversation about it. Right. When I'm gonna just call her Lucy. Okay. When Lucy goes off on her like review, yes, that review was word for word verbatim because you know how like her voice changes. She had their cigarette, and she, like, literally, right. like, turned it's into someone word else. word-for-word verbatim a review of that movie by uh, Paula Kale. Mm-hmm. There was a Paula Kale review book in Jake's bedroom when they were at the uh, house. Oh, okay. Okay. Lucy's poem that she recites at the beginning was in the book of poems in Jake's room. Of course, yes. Lucy's paintings that are on her phone are pictures of jake's paintings from the basement which are really him just trying to imitate these posters that he's got hanging on the wall in his bedroom there's a dvd of a beautiful mind at the end and we haven't even mentioned it but at the end when he's accepting a nobel prize his (laughs) acceptance speech is verbatim the speech from a beautiful mind yes i did hear that when they're sitting at the dinner table and she's talking about the way that they met. Um, I'm sorry. And Lucy is telling Jake's parents how her and Jake met. Um, right. It's one story. And then later when they're talking about how they met, when they're standing at the bottom of the stairs, it's the same story from the fake Robert Zemeckis movie that the janitor was watching during lunch. Yes. They're talking about the Santa Fe burger and arguing. And so everything 
about the movie, everything about her, everything about her, everything is informed by what he's read, what he's watched, what he's listened yes. to. But he doesn't have his own opinions, right? Yes, he's 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 just so influenced by the media around him that he's not really even his own person, which I I feel like informs him not having a very high opinion of himself, wishing he right. had gone and done more, getting all those, you know, those hopes and dreams from movies and books and TV. Other and, places, yes. And none of it, when we say none of it is real because it's all in his head, but like even the stuff in his head, even w- the things he really wants. It's like is, plagiarized. Right, it's not really real. It's just what he's been told he's supposed to want, which I thought was really cool. And, and I think that's kind of the moral. Everything you just said is absolutely genius. So congratulations on that, Matt. Wait a second. Even though he plagiarized it from a YouTube video. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wait a second. Okay. He's got the he saved the bomb for last. So after work, he goes and he sits in his car. Yes. In the middle of a blizzard. He takes the keys out, he sits, and just lets, lets him get cold. If you remember when Lucy was sitting in the car by herself, she's thinking about, oh, hypothermia, I'm going to fall asleep soon. Yes. That wouldn't be a bad way of going. He does yes. the same thing. He just kind of yes. succumbs to the... The whole time, he was thinking of ending things. He definitely was, Matt. And and Like suicide. I <laughs> No, we get it. Because <laughs> throughout the whole movie, she's constantly saying she's thinking of ending things in regards to breaking up with Jake. Right, right. Because she thinks it's been six weeks. Like, I don't even know if I like this guy. Like, why am I going to meet his parents? Like, right. that kind of thing. And that's Jake imagining, of course, that's what a woman would think if, if she was with me. Exactly. So I walked out of this film. I walked out of my bedroom <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> And I thought, I don't know if I liked it. Like, I was I was kind of stuck. Like, I don't want to say I didn't like it, because I think what really it happened is I don't understand it. Right. And I don't think that's fair to say I don't like a movie just because I don't understand it. And after reading about it, after talking about it, after everything that you just said, I really think it was a great movie. I am impressed by it. Yes, I don't know if I would go as far as to say, like, I really like this movie. Right. But it's it's very impressive. It's 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 just such a great piece of writing. Right. I'd really exactly. be interested in, in reading the book. I, I want to talk about that in just a second. I guess what I would ask, since I kind of feel like we're at a little bit of the end here, you kind of just talked about how you don't want to say like you like it, but you're impressed by it. What would you give it as a star rating? It's a tough one. It's almost like it's this movie is like so much more of like an art piece than I feel like most of the movies we've watched so far. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on what you want out of your movies. Right. That's what I was saying earlier say, when I said it's not for everyone. I'm going to say two and a half. Okay. And the only, I shouldn't say the only, the main reason that it loses a little bit, because I always start at three and I give or I take. Okay. The the main reason it loses a little bit is because it requires it's ask it asks almost too much of the audience. Mm-hmm. I feel like a good five star movie or film, whatever you want to call it, has good characters, good story, good plot, good you know is all well done and everything, and doesn't require too much from the audience to follow. Mm-hmm. It can be 
difficult. You know, Knives yeah. Out, you had to really pay attention. Um, you gave Devil All the Time five stars, <laughs> and that was a vague one. Devil All the Time was way more straightforward than this Yes, movie, I'm, say- I'm not arguing against you. I'm saying that you do have to do some work for Devil All the right, Time. Right, that's what I'm saying. You don't, not- my, my, my thing isn't that the audience shouldn't have to think through it at all. Right. You should have to think a little bit. You should have to be engaged. But this, like even for you and me, Carrie said it last night while I was um, while I was trying to explain it to her. She's like, man, when movies are tough, like you do a better job of following the plots and stuff than I do. She's like, and if you were this lost, I would have been completely lost. Yeah. And I f- think for you and me to walk out of this and go, I, I got to do some research. I got to figure out what's going on. The plot was probably a little bit too difficult yeah, to follow. So no, that all makes sense. <laughs> I, I'm going to bump it back up to three because the acting was phenomenal. <laughs> Whenever I'm trying to be objective, I have this, these categories. I break it down into like directing, writing, plot, acting, like all, all there's seven things. And I give each of those a five star rating. And then I take the average of it at the end. And so when I did this for this movie, I came to three stars. So <laughs> I'm giving it three stars. And okay. I agree with a lot of what you said. And I really don't want to knock it too hard for being too difficult. Because like in a way, that's exactly what he wanted it to be. So it's like he made the movie he wanted to make. Yeah, but if I punch you in the face... <laughs> And you're like, hey, why'd you do that? And I'm like, no, it's okay. That's what I wanted it to be. It doesn't make it pleasurable getting punched in the face. Oh, man. That's pretty funny. Would you recommend this movie? <laughs> it depends on the person I'm recommending it to. And yes. on a on a macro scale, probably not. Right. Yep. Or I, I think, may recommend yeah. it with the um qualifier of hey it's way all over the place it's really hard to follow um better if the person i'm talking to knows who charlie kaufman is so all i have to do is say it's charlie kaufman and they go oh okay i get it which if they know who charlie kaufman is they're already probably the type of person that would be watching it anyway so right Um, that's i was talking to carrie last night I was trying to explain who Charlie Kaufman was. I was like, well, you know, one of his most straightforward movies is Adaptation, which is a movie about two brothers trying to sell a script that they wrote, and you realize that the script that they're trying to sell is the movie that you're watching. Yeah. It folds in on itself. And I think that's a really good spot to go on to our next topic, which is what makes a good adaptation. And I bring it up because you mentioned that I'm... I'm thinking of ending things is a book. So this is an adaptation. And from the little tiny bit I've read online, it's kind of faithful and kind of its own thing at the same time. From what I read, it was, it was pretty faithful until the ending. The ending was like wildly different. And when you talk about Charlie Kaufman and you talk about adaptations, you think of adaptation, which is what you were just talking about Mm -hmm. where I want to say he did start off writing the adaptation of a book called The Orchid Thief, I think is what it's called. Or maybe he had the idea the whole time to just not do it. But he pretty much makes a script 
about a writer trying to write the adaptation to The Orchid Thief. And the author of that book is in the movie. And, like, I mean, things go nuts. More, I guess not more so than I'm thinking of ending things, but for an adaptation (laughs) of a book. Right. And in the movie, I think it says, based upon the book, blah, 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 by blah, blah, blah. And it has nothing to do with the book. Like... (laughs) At all. It's like it's like one of those jokes. Like you, you like imagine him being like I was supposed to write an adaptation and I just didn't do it and I still <laughs> turned it in and they're making the movie. <laughs> it makes no sense. That brings me to my question that I have for you that do you think what makes a good adaptation is that it follows the source material perfectly? Or do you think that if you're adapting a book you should take liberties and make it different because it's a movie now. I think you need to capture the spirit of what the story is, right? So there are certain things, there are certain books that if you just take exactly what's in the book and put it on a screen, it's not going to translate. There's right. so many things about reading a novel or or any kind of book really that require your imagination to do a little bit of the work and if you're if you're being told the story and seeing what's going on your imagination Mm -hmm. is playing less of a role right so you got to figure out what what is the soul of the story what is the spirit of the story and as long as you can transfer that into a movie or into a tv show whatever you're going to do then i think it's going to be successful but, and I think you're talking the most about like books like which I've never read. I'm thinking of ending things, but I'm assuming that this book is very much not super plot heavy and is more about the theme of the book. Right. But then you have something like on the other side, like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That book is all plot. So it's like. If you don't do it exactly like the book, you're going to have some issues. Well, that's that's a little bit more difficult because the mm-hmm. this is appropriate because I just read that book and just watched that movie. Okay. The movie did a very good job of adapting that book, that yeah. story, the story of Harry Potter's first year at Hogwarts. What the movie failed on was all the setup for the things that are going to pay off later in the series. Mm-hmm. So they made the choice to make this movie very faithful and good, but they decided not to think too hard about what's coming next. For Harry Potter? You're saying. Yes. Yeah, but also J.K. Rowling didn't want to tell the studio or tell anyone like what was going to happen. And right. to that point, the fourth one was the most recent one that came out, so they didn't know half the stuff. The only one, the only one who knew yeah. anything was Alan Rickman. That's wild. Knew Snape's entire story arc. And you have something like Gone Girl that I read the book and saw the movie. And from what I can remember, that is just the book in a movie form. It's mm-hmm. straight up exactly what happened. And they even to the point that the writer of the movie is the writer of the book. Right. And so you have a straight adaptation. But Carrie and I have been talking about this a lot. We both recently read Where the Crawdads Sing. If you haven't read it, phenomenal book. It's great. Okay. The marsh that the main character lives in is so much a character. That may be a wrong way of saying it, but kind of oh, yeah. once upon a time in Hollywood and, and the city of Hollywood was almost a, 
a character. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it, it so affected all the characters within the marsh itself is such a like character in that book. I don't know how they're going to adapt that because they've Reese Witherspoon opted it or co-opted it or whatever to adapt it into a movie. I don't know how they're going to adapt the marsh specifically because again, it, it so informs all of the other characters but if you do that in movie form, it's just going to be long shots of like nothing happening in a marsh. Maybe that's like what they'll do. A bird flying by. Because I will say, of it. <laughs> you're in good hands with Reese Witherspoon because you know what else she produced? Gone Girl. Gone Girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, what I was thinking, though, is like, you know, people always bring it up like the book was better than the movie. And, you know, for me, something like without getting too far into it, something like it just failed me <laughs> compared to the book. And it's because I think that needs to be a mini series, not a movie. Um, well, but and it's also something like it is another one that's so all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's, it's these kids in the sixties, then it's these adults in the eighties. And then it's a turtle in space who, which, is- and that book is like a thousand something pages. And, as much as I love it, I'll be the first to say it probably could be like 300 pages shorter because of how much is like repeated and like drawn out and things like that. But it's like that's almost like what I want from the the visual work is I almost right. want this long drawn out thing. What I'm saying is is the all of the different concepts right that are in it, it's it's hard to put them into, all together even if it's one mini series. Right. Like, it's so tonally different from one another that it, it works in the book, but it wouldn't... Because it's in your head. Right, right. It, it would not fit. So, I think... I personally liked, especially the first It. The, right, Chapter right, right. 2 was... I never saw Chapter 2. Chapter 2 was good, but the ending was very different. And I right. think people were disappointed in the ending, With but the it was like, dude, they, they could not have done... It, it it would have turned into I'm thinking of ending things. Everyone would have been like, "What is happening?" But it, everyone always says like the book is better than the movie and all that. And I think what it comes down to is how well it was adapted. Like I feel like most people want to just see exactly the book on the screen. And I think the point you've made is that that's just not how it works. And I think it's it's what Alan Moore talked about with all his graphic novels, as crazy as that guy is, that if he wanted it to be a movie, he would have made it into a movie. But he well, made it that's, into a graphic Alan, novel. Alan Moore is a perfect example. With Watchmen, right. he set right. out. His goal was to write a comic that would only work as a comic. It wouldn't work right. as a radio show. It wouldn't work as a TV show. It wouldn't work as a novel it wouldn't work as a movie it wouldn't work as any other form of media media other than a comic book right and, i mean you look at all the adaptations and they have their merits but he's yes. right yeah and they and with the movie as good as the movie is because i liked the movie it's and not I, the book. and i read it they changed things they changed a lot they changed the ending they left because... out about 50 percent of the com- the graphic novel because if if you put it in, it just gets too convoluted. Because you're saying they like left out the like mini comics in between the overarching yeah and, like, the tales the of the Bra- black freighter and yeah things like the interviews that. and everything. But yeah, I think that we've kind of answered the question <laughs> in a way when I asked, does an adaptation have to be a straight 
a remake of the book or not, that the answer is sure, but also no. <laughs> With both. Watchmen, though, Watchmen did a good job of capturing the essence, the, right, of what the book was. So I, right. a lot of people like Watchmen a lot. I thought yeah. it was, I thought it was pretty good, and so I think that it was a good adaptation of the story. The like yeah. overall story that wanted to be told, but it was not. It was not a complete adaptation of right. the graphic novel. Yep, because otherwise we're gonna have a ten-hour movie and no one's ever gonna watch it. Also, the miniseries on HBO is phenomenal. Just a small little question right at the end, just because I'm interested in what you think. Something like the Marvel movies or like the Batman Christopher Nolan trilogy. <clears throat> do you count those as adaptations? of the comic books or do you think that they're so far removed that they're their own thing their own thing <laughs> like david pumpkins from snl david s pumpkins <laughs> i don't it's kind of difficult because on one hand they they're kind of both well you you asked about like two different things so like captain america civil war is an yeah. adaptation of civil war right not the Civil War. There's a story in the Marvel comics called Civil War. Of course. War. So that is an adaptation. Did they make changes? Yes. Did they switch around some motivations and some characters? Yes. But that's an adaptation of that story. Something like yeah. Batman Begins, that's never been a written story. Did they take a few little elements from year one? Sure. Did they take a few little elements from other Batman stories here and there? Absolutely. But it's its own original story. He's just using the characters. It's almost like right. another issue of the comic book. It's just a movie yeah. form. So there are some things that Marvel does both. I think DC tries to exclusively do... Like separate things. What Batman Begins did. We'll take some yeah. elements here and there, but we're going to make our own original stories. Right. Well, hey, yeah. I think that was a successful conversation. I feel like maybe we should do this in the morning. I feel like you're more engaged in the morning. I don't know what it is. You're, <laughs> you're ready to talk this morning. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Let me find my notes here because I always forget what to say. <laughs> um, so we have our email address. Let's run that back pod at gmail.com. You can send us pretty much anything just to let us know you're out there. And we have an Instagram called Let's Run That Back where you can see our posts every time a new episode is uploaded, which is pretty much every two weeks, but uh, I'm not going to make a promise about we're, that we're, every time. We're getting a little better about it, but we'll yes. work on it. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is Let's Run That Back. We're two brothers who like to talk about movies as if our opinions matter. This is coming out on Election Day, so if you're in America and you haven't voted yet, go do that. I'm Cody. Did you say if you're in America? Do, do we have international <laughs> listeners? I don't know. Maybe. I'm Matt. You guys have a good one.